An offer too good to refuse from Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 to 7. And next week we'll do the second part of this chapter. It's, it's difficult to ignore one typical characteristic of our society. And that is that people are always trying to sell you something while others uh, are trying to buy it. And even when you're not trying to buy it, they're still trying to sell it to you. For better or worse, it is a fundamental aspect of our capitalist economic system. But not just that. I mean, people, you go travel anywhere in the world and you you look at uh, whether it's in Africa, South America, wherever you are, or in the Middle East, in Israel, there's always somebody out in the streets trying to sell you something. And you're sort of wondering, do they make enough money to feed their family from this little kiosk or this street stall, whatever it is. In our market economy, individuals and businesses produce goods and services to meet the needs and wants of consumers. And through marketing, they tell you why their product is something you need and why it is better than the competition. Often, items like cars with bigger items like cars and stuff like that. They, they invite you to, to try it for a while. Take the caravan out for a week, they say, and, and then bring it back, hopefully in one piece, and, uh, and see what you think of it. Decide, before you decide to buy it, try it. Try before you buy. Throughout the Bible, we also see God inviting us to come to him. He's not trying to, to sell us something. He's trying to invite us on a journey with him. And this invitation from God to come to him is found in many places and in different forms. And this morning we look at one of the, the great chapters in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 55. And in this passage, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah some 2,000 500 years ago. The prophet Isaiah, who was based, oh, maybe 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah, who was, he was based in Judah, in Jerusalem, the capital. And he was chosen by God to speak to the people of Israel. The northern tribes, the northern tribes continually refused to obey God's laws and they will suffer the consequences of their rebellion by being conquered and led into exile, this was the first, first exile, by the Assyrians. The same thing will eventually happen to the southern tribes, the tribes of Judah, and for the same reason, for idolatry. It's interesting that they didn't stop believing in God altogether. It's not like they become atheists but went on to absorb, apart, on top of their belief and worship of God, they started absorbing the idolatry, the worship of other foreign gods from the surrounding nations. It was into this atmosphere that Isaiah came with a word from the Lord. And Isaiah was looking beyond the exile, beyond the suffering, he wasn't telling them to, to resign themselves to their fate, but gave them 
a proclamation of salvation beyond the suffering, beyond the difficult times. And it was something that they needed to hear, something to look forward to, something beyond the gloom and the doom to give them hope. But how do you get their attention? In the midst of their routine, perhaps many have already lost hope, have forgotten about God and moved on with their lives. The way it is, it's always going to be. To move away from God, you see, is, is, it does, it's not too hard to move away from God. It's not too hard to stop coming to church. It's not too difficult to just forget about all of this and say it's all rubbish, right? Everybody believes anything, it doesn't really matter. It's easy, that's our natural instinct. You simply let yourself go. It's effortless. Gravity takes over and you just fall over. But the journey back, if suddenly you wake up and you say, no, I can't keep doing this, it's a lot harder to to change your habits and thoughts and, and, and that and come to the light. Because then you have baggage that has to be discarded. And on top of that, you have to humble yourself, let go of your pride. Pride is a big problem. For me, for all of us, I think it's probably the biggest issue, our pride. This, this is why these verses are, are an imperative they are, they are in, an, in the form of an imperative, like a summons with a sense of urgency. The, the prophet is calling them to, to come, to buy, to come is five times in these, ver, in these verses. To buy it's twice, to eat it's twice, to listen twice again. Obviously he's trying to get their attention. I can almost picture the the prophet Isaiah going to the busy marketplace of the day with a hustle and bustle of the food stalls and people, you know, and the sheep crying and the, and the, and the, the meat that's been butchered or hanging around there and people going back and forth. And he's trying to get their attention. And he's trying to do it not just from his own words but these great words from the Lord. What is he doing? First of all, a generous invitation, verse 1. A generous invitation. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Years ago, I remember vividly walking through the markets in a, in a busy in a busy marketplace in one of the bigger cities in Paraguay. And uh, market stalls all set up on the footpath. So if you wanted to walk, you had to walk actually on the road because the footpaths were all taken over by the, the sellers. 
Don't worry about OH&S and all that rubbish, right? Nobody cares. And, and, and it, was, so it was dangerous because there's cars, there's shoppers, and they're pushing you here and there. And, 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 uh. and not only that, but they actually, as you walk, the, the salespeople, they actually come and drag you inside their stores to come and buy Whatever it is, they want to sell you. So it's a pair of jeans or leather jacket, whatever. They're not just shouting at you, they're grabbing you, kidnapping you. Now such aggressive sales techniques are not common here in Australia, except of course if you happen to lose yourself inside, inside a, a used car yard, and then you can't get out. But this invitation here is, is, is targeting a, a vitally important need. Essential needs. The, the need for water, which is essential to sustain life. All of life. There is nothing, you see, there is nothing harder for the advertisers to do than to try and sell products to people who already have it all. Why would you sell water to people who are already filled? The taps are running. But it's easier to sell water to somebody who's just been working all day and there is no water anywhere. There's no fresh water. It's easy. The product sells itself, they say. But when people have everything, everybody's trying to sell the same thing. I say, well... How do you choose? Where do you go? Parents, I think, can identify with this, particularly in birthdays and at Christmas. Have you ever struggled to choose a present for somebody you love? I hate buying presents. I just, just being honest, what on earth do you buy? They already have everything. And the stuff that they really probably want, I can't afford to buy them. Dad, can I have a car, please? The fact that here, the fact that one can come, buy and eat without money doesn't seem to make sense. Come, buy and eat without money. And the offer isn't merely about the basic necessities of life, like bread and water. No, it's for the more luxury, the next level of items, because bread and water are essential for life. But then we have wine and milk. Nothing but the best. For people who are in in the desert, in the wilderness, who are hard up, I suppose these wine and milk are just undreamed of luxuries for people in exile. But how on earth would you even get these things for free? You see, this offer from God reverses the world's commercial values where they say you only get what you pay for. 
this is deeper. This is a this is a, a call that addresses our spiritual poverty, our spiritual hunger. Ultimately goes deeper than wine and milk and even bread and water. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And to do that, to come to him, we must be hungry enough to recognize our spiritual hunger, our spiritual thirst. We must abandon any claims that we already have enough, that we already filled, that I have already done enough to merit my good standing before God. I'm good enough. This is my self-righteousness. I've never, I haven't lived a bad life, so God will let me into heaven because of the things I've done. No. Your spiritual hunger, your spiritual poverty actually says, no, you, 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 without God, you have nothing. You are nothing. We must put away all our ideas of having any part in our salvation. Because this is the only shop. This is the only store where the seller pays, not the buyer. Come, buy without money, without cost. And the cost has been borne by the seller so that you can get it for free. The second part, the second, the following part is, is a terrible dilemma. The, second, the, the first part of verse 2 says this, a terrible dilemma. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And so humans do find themselves in a, in a dilemma when it comes to their attitude to life. This is the case with us relatively wealthy Westerners who are blessed to live in a country like Australia. On the one hand, on the one hand we have the spenders. You know that you are not going to live forever, so you party on, you party hard. You seek to satisfy those desires by spending and spending more and trying this and trying that. You seek satisfaction from the goods that you obtain or the services that you're able to afford or the accommodation or the locations that you're able to travel. And the thinking is, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Live it up. The other group... The other group are the hoarders, the spenders and the hoarders. The hoarders and investors are those who, even though they know deep down that they're not going to live forever, they continue to build bigger barns for a rainy day. And so it's not just one barn, we have to get a bigger one, an improvement. It's not just about the, the three better, right? We need to have an extension up, we need to get an extension away, and we, we need to, you know, 
have another five bedrooms with five toilets. How many toilets do you need when there's only two of you? Oh, when the grandkids come. Do you know how many places out there are are empty? Basically, one person living on their own. The bigger barns takes on many forms in a rich country like Australia. And, and, and you, you're saying, well, why, why all of this? I, I, why? Do you think you're going to live forever because of all your savings, because of all your investments, because of all your, all your goods? To make things more complicated, these behaviours can be interchangeable. As many billionaires who have amassed so much wealth, I think the, the richest people in the world now have over... 200, 250 billion dollars? How many lifetimes? These are more than any country's economies, many countries' economies, concentrated on one person. How much money do you need? And then they go on spending on stupid things like golden iPhones, $35,000 for a gold iPhone. Really? Solomon summed it up this way in Ecclesiastes, and he was the richest man who ever lived. More than Bezos and all the others. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8. There was a man all alone, all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So no descendants, no friends, nobody, and he was not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. The truth is that we do spend most of our money on things that really aren't essential. We work hard to earn the money so we can spend it, but somewhere in our senior years the whole exercise appears terribly unconvincing. In a moment of reflection some will say, why am I doing this? This is crazy. Surely there has to be more to life than this. The famous English poet Lord Byron described his experience vividly. He said, and I quote, drank every cup of joy, drank early, deeply drank, drank draughts which common millions might have drunk, then died of thirst because there was no more to drink. End of quote. Clearly he was a good example of someone who drank the waters of fleshly pleasures but missed the waters of life that only God can supply. So there has to be something better. And yes, there is a better alternative. The second part of verse 2 and 
verse 3. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fear. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. And notice here that rather than appealing to the physical necessities like bread or pleasures of life, like wine, the primary human hunger is the hunger of the soul. The psalmist declares, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That's Psalm 107 verse 9. And Jesus got to the heart of the matter when he said, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man gain, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Pascal, many, many years ago, he said, he explained the soul in terms of of us having a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. The soul has a very special shape and it can only be filled with God himself. Our soul is the only part of us which is eternal. Our soul hungers for eternity because it has been created for eternity by God. He placed eternity in our hearts, the Bible says. This is not where life ends. Yes, your physical life ends here, but then eternity, heaven or hell. And those without Christ... It's eternity in hell. That is why Jesus spoke a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. Because he was trying to warn us of the dangers, of the destiny. But if you are in Christ, your soul will delight in the riches of fear in his glory. And then your destiny, where you're going, starts to impact your present reality. It has to. You, look, you put a person without hope and you person with hope and there's a different attitude, there's a different joy, there's a, there's a different fulfilment that you can see. You can put up with the suffering because you know it's only temporary, it's only for this life. You can put up with the disappointments, you can put up with all this because you know that the joy is, is coming. There's only one reason for the joy, and that is Christ in us. This is why the Father sent his Son Jesus to give us the eternal hope of heaven. I like the, uh, the story about the boy and his father who were planning to go fishing the next day. And that evening, as, as the, the father was putting his son to bed, the boy hugs him, hugs dad, and he's and grabs his neck and says, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. It's good, isn't it? Thank you for tomorrow. I wonder if when we pray to our Heavenly Father, we say the same thing. Thank you. Whatever today, <laughs> whatever today I'm, I'm going through, having to put up with, I thank you for tomorrow. Because it's not always going to be like this. 
And then we have a wonderful promise in verses 3 to 5. The second part of verse 3. A wonderful promise. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you did not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. The original covenant between God and his people was the covenant between God and and Abraham. Then came other covenants, God and David. And, and, And this covenant between God and David found its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. When God makes his promises, he keeps them. He is the mediator and trustee of the new covenant and all believers in Jesus are members of the royal family. Jesus, the Messiah, was the perfect witness, the perfect king, the perfect teacher, the perfect leader, the perfect sacrifice and the fulfilment of the law for his people. He was all of that in one person. And nations who had nothing to do with God are now included in the promise, in this promise. And they hear this invitation. They will turn from their sins and they will worship the true God. This is the fulfillment of the original promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This found its fulfillment when the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Through faith in Jesus we are included in God's promise. Fifthly, for a limited time only. Seek the Lord while he may be found Call on him while he is near. There is an urgency about this invitation. Australia Day, there's going to be sales. You know, uh, Boxing Day, there were sales. Usually the line is, big sale, 20% off, 25% off, 50% off, for a limited time only. This one is really for a limited time only. There is an urgency about God's invitation. (coughs) Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Despite the fact that our God is very patient, the offer isn't available indefinitely. God waited many years for Noah while he was building his ark so that people would repent. 100 years he was building this project in his backyard, preaching. Did people listen? Did people repent? No. Only his immediate family was saved with God's provision of the ark. God showed tremendous patience with the people of Israel. But the time came when judgment 
He warned them. He told them, unless you do this, this is what's going to happen. They didn't listen. And then he executed his judgment. They thought they knew better, but they suffered because of it. Similarly, Jesus, while he was approaching Jerusalem, he had to stop and weep as he looked, as he looked at the city of Jerusalem. And he opened us God's heart to how he's trying to get our attention, to how he feels, to, to tell us that this open invitation is limited. He said in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. There it is. Seeking the Lord while he may be found is a window of opportunity, a time of salvation that God graciously offers to all who come to him. Our time is limited. I can't guarantee you if you're going to be alive in the next 30 minutes, let alone the next 30 years. I can't guarantee you that the Lord won't return in that time either. The time of our salvation is getting closer because time only moves in one direction. The river only flows in one direction. The God of grace is also a God of justice. And we are for all intents and purposes living in the last days. So I plead with you, if you have yet to commit your life to Christ, don't put it off. Don't keep on thinking, I've got time, I've got stuff I've got to do before I get serious with God, I've got too much partying to do. Because one day, one moment, it will be too late. This is why you need to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And lastly, an offer too good to miss, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our Lord, for he will freely pardon. When we read this verse and, and it talks about the wicked, we usually interpret wickedness and evil in the same way that the media and society interprets evil and wickedness. But here it's not referring to behavior that is necessarily illegal or immoral because the moral compass in society seems to shift according to people's ideas and thoughts. Before, in in some parts of the world, uh, adultery is considered Illegal. I think even there was a time in Australia when adultery was considered illegal. Now it's, you know, doesn't matter. It's fine. Your choice. In 
God's eyes, we are actually all wicked. Whether you're an axe murderer or whether you have given, not given, you weren't exactly honest in your tax return. It is only through God's grace that we have, we are declared righteous. And the word forsake means to relinquish, to, to let go, to give up, to renounce, to abandon a habit, an idea. There is not only a call to, to, to change the way we behave, which everyone can see, but also the way we think. Because our thoughts, our thoughts, if all of us were able to see each other's thoughts, none of us would come to church. He knows what I'm thinking. Just as well we keep it privately. But God knows. God knows our deepest thoughts buried deeply within our hearts. And as we return, return to God, repent, then God is there waiting freely pardoned. And there is that, that word again that comes here. For he will freely pardon. That's the, without cost, right? Free. Human nature finds it hard to accept a free offer and wants us to, to contribute something, to do something to contribute to our salvation. But No. We can't come to God in those terms. Salvation is free through Jesus Christ, where the cost was borne by the seller. And here then is God's great invitation. It comes to us with this compelling urgency to accept God's offer of a lifetime. This life and eternity the eternal life to come. It shows us what is truly important in life when you reduce all of life to the barest essential, food and water. He is the one that provides it all. He tells us, tells us what God has done to get our attention. It tells us what God has provided. It tells us that there is an urgency to come to him without delay. We need to forget about all the pleasures and all the other satisfactions that we enjoy with life and hunger and thirst for grace, for his grace, for salvation. The invitation is there, despite your background, despite your present condition, we have only to return to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon his promise is that you shall be ransomed, healed, restored forgiven through Jesus Christ my question to you is what will you do with God's offer will you take it up will you think about it or will you delay again come to the Lord now the day is the day of salvation.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, you're good to us. You're continually calling us and drawing us to yourself. As we start this new year, Lord, we perhaps are anxious and worried about many things. Many things that shouldn't really be worrying us because you supply all of our needs. Lord, our deepest need is to take you seriously, to have this relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that all of us who are listening to these words, Lord, will constantly come to you. Whether it's the first time or whether it's continually, Lord, so that you continue to feed us. We pray, Lord, that we will answer your call. That we will not be distracted by the distractions of this world, whether it's materialism or whether it's the louder voices that are trying to sell us something. Let us listen to the true voice of life through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Amen.